Thank you, Steve. Well, good evening, everyone. Always a pleasure to be with you on a Sabbath and a go-to-meeting. Tonight's subject is an old one, and frankly, it has plagued the Church of God for some 2,000 years. And it can be just as uh, difficult today as it was in the days of the Apostle Paul. You know, remember, Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, and he ran into this problem a lot. So first of all, let's go to Galatians. The book of Galatians is the battleground epistle for this subject. And Paul was masterful in his writing. And we're going to see, as I like to humorously say, the Rebbe. Paul was a rabbi. And uh, Rabbi Shaul. And we're going to see his rabbinic expressions in here. They are beautifully done. Hopefully you'll, you'll appreciate them. At any rate, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 9. And this is Paul describing one of the meetings he had with the apostles in Jerusalem. And he's writing, uh, And after recognizing the grace that was given to me, James and Cephas and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, affirming that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcision. So here we have clear evidence that the Apostle Paul was the, the Apostle to the Gentiles, and he was dealing with them. Now let's go just across the page, and we'll start in chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, an apostle not sent by, from men, nor made by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, so Galatia was a designated area, and there were a number of congregations in Galatia. And Paul also had churches, as you know, in Corinth, Ephesus, Philippi, Colossae. He made the rounds uh, among the Gentiles. And to use uh, showbiz language, he took his show on the road and was on the road for quite some time. And that in turn led to problems. Because Paul would train up a church, get people uh, baptized, they understood, he would leave, and trouble would arise. So, let's drop down to verse 6 in chapter 1. I am astonished that you are so quickly being turned away from him who called you into, into the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which in reality is not another gospel. But there are some who troubling are troubling you and are desiring to pervert the gospel of Christ. So, what was part of what was the main problem? Well, when Paul was meeting with Peter uh, after the difficulty at Antioch, notice what Paul writes. In verse 15, chapter 2, We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by works of law, but through the grace, but through the faith of Jesus Christ. We also have believed in Christ Jesus. So here was Paul talking to Peter, and he's stating this to Peter. So we see man is not justified by works of law, but by the faith in Christ. Now look at what Paul has to say to the Galatians in chapter 3. And we're going to be spending a fair amount of time in the book of Galatians tonight. Not all of it, but the lion's share. 
Chapter 3. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you into not obeying the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ crucified was set forth in a written proclamation. This only I desire to learn from you. Now in part, here's the rabbi coming out. A question for you, my children. This is what he would do. So he says, I got a question for you. Again in verse 2. Did you receive the Spirit of God by works of law or by the hearing of faith? And we will discuss the term works of law later on. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? So what's Paul talking about being perfected in the flesh? Circumcision. That's what he's talking about. And he said, you started out with the Spirit, and now you're winding up with the flesh. And Paul said, that's no good. That is not going to work at all. Now, why would the Gentiles want circumcision? What would lead them to be circumcised? Remember, in those days, Gentiles were under the rule of the Romans, the Greeks, and they worshipped their own city gods, state gods, national gods, what have you. And whole families were dedicated to a particular god. But that began to wear old. And by the time of the first century, many of those Gentiles, they said, you know, this is nothing. I don't feel anything. All I do is I go give these offerings, these sacrifices. But, but there's no connection. And then somehow they came in contact with the Jews in the synagogue. And there, and there they learned about a God who says, you shall love the Lord your God. And God made certain promises to them and said, I will be with you. And this attracted to them to the synagogue. And whenever Paul went, what would be the first place he would visit? The synagogue. And in the synagogue, you would have Jews along with a few Gentiles. Well, Paul made his rounds, but the Judaizers in Judea knew about him and they were of the Pharisees, and they were the party of the law, and so they dogged him. Uh, let's look at the book of Acts, and we'll see that. In this case, the book of Acts, and we're going to go to chapter 15. The book of Acts, chapter 15, verse 1. Now certain men who had come down from Judea were teaching the brethren, saying, Unless you are circumcised after the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now then, drop down, uh, drop down here uh, to verse 19. This is where James is giving his sentence, explaining the reasoning for saying, okay, the Jews, the, the Gentiles don't have to be circumcised. They don't have to obey many of the rituals. Just, he mentions, abstain from pollutions of idols in verse 20, sexual immorality from what has been strangled and from blood. But what was the reason? For from the generations of old, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him in the synagogues being read every day. So every day in the synagogue, these Gentiles heard about Moses. They heard about the law. And they knew that those Jews were circumcised. And what happened was, 
those those Judaizers began to convince the Gentiles that, well, you started out good. You started, hey, you're in good shape. You accepted Jesus Christ, and now you're sick. But you have to keep the law, and you have to be circumcised, because if not, you are not going to enter Olam Haba, the kingdom of God, the world to come. And they began to give in. And Paul... Uh, says, no, no, no. Let's look in Galatians chapter 3. As I said, we're going to spend a good deal of time in Galatians. Look what he says to the Galatians. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you into not obeying the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was set forth in a written public proclamation? Now, once again, the question this only have I dared to learn from you. But we're going to drop down uh, to, are you so, right, are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit? Are you now being perfected in the flesh? All right, we read that before. Now look at Galatians 5. Again, I am personally, t- Galatians 5, verse 3. And we'll begin with verse 2. Paul is saying here that if you become circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. I am personally testifying to every man who is being circumcised that he is is a debtor to the whole law. So what was his problem? Circumcision was the gateway to the old covenant. That was the problem. If Paul is telling them, look, if you get circumcised, well, you remember some years ago, the term uh, was thrown around, junk, don't mess with my junk. We all remember humorously what was meant. Well, Paul is saying, look, your junk is your junk, whether you're circumcised or not. But if you get circumcised because you think this is going to help you with God, you are totally throwing off Christ. It is either by faith or is by works of law. And circumcision is one of the works of law. Paul says, no, 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 don't do this. So that, in fact, we're going to see that's his argument throughout the entire book of Galatians. So, I justified physical circumcision. Now look, let's look, we have have Jeremiah 31, chapter, chapter 31, verses 31 to 34, Hebrews 8, verses 7 to 13. They say the same thing, but let's look at how Paul relates it in the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, chapter 8. The book of Hebrews, chapter 8. And we will pick it up in verse 7. So here's Paul writing. For if the first covenant had been faultless, then no provision for a second covenant would have been made. But since he found fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. The old covenant is going by the boards. It is dying. It will completely be dissolved. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took hold of their hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they did not continue in my covenant and I disregarded them. For this is the covenant that I will establish with the house of Israel after those days. I will give my laws into their hearts. 
I will inscribe them upon their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Well, how's going to how is God going to do that? <laughs> Through the Spirit. So remember, Paul asked them, "How did you get the Spirit?" That's God's Holy Spirit, the Spirit that we hopefully all have and are stirring up and are using, and that Spirit is guiding us and leading us. That's with the circumcision of the heart. We've read this before, but let's review it. Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy. Okay. And Deuteronomy 10, and I believe that is uh, 16, what I got to hear. Excuse me, that's good. Deuteronomy 10, 16. All right. Well, Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stiff-necked. So the only way we can achieve the kingdom is to have the heart to be circumcised. The old covenant didn't provide for that. And Paul's whole argument says, if you are going to be physically circumcised, you're entering the old covenant. God's dissolving that. You've got to be with the new covenant, or else Christ is of no effect at all. Your sins will not be forgiven. And so Paul is almost pulling his hair out saying, no, 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 don't do that. So here we go now, Galatians 5. We're back to Galatians again. Back to Galatians. And we're going to read more distinctly in, cha in uh, chapter 5. Once again, we read part of this. Behold, I, Paul, tell you that if you become circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Am I personally testifying to every man who is being circumcised that he is debtor to the whole law? You who are attempting to be justified by works of law, that's circumcision in this case, you are being deprived of any spiritual effect from Christ. You have fallen from grace. Now, verse 6, because in Christ Jesus neither is circumcision any force nor uncircumcision. It is the inner working of the faith for love. So what Paul is saying is circumcision by itself means nothing. Uncircumcised, uncircumcision means nothing. It's the reason you become circumcised. I was descended from a Jewish family. So I was circumcised on the eighth day as prescribed in the Torah. I had my two sons circumcised on the eighth day. But why? To gain salvation? No. But just to carry on the Jewish tradition. That was all. And, and Paul's saying, ah, you're circumcised. Who cares? You're not circumcised. Who cares? But don't become circumcised to gain favor with God because you are rejecting the new covenant if you do that. So... The question is, did you get it back to, back to Galatians 3? Talking about the Spirit and talking about the promise. Now, let's go to Galatians 3, verse 29. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What promise is that? Genesis 15. And we'll see that promise. Genesis 15. Here God is talking to Abram. I will be your shield. I will be your fortress. I will help you. 
And Abraham said, verse 3 of Genesis 50, Behold, you have given me no seed, and one born in my house is my heir. And Abraham is feeling low. He does not have an heir, and he is deeply troubled by that. So God to the rescue. Behold, verse 4, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man shall not be your heir, but he that shall come forth out of your own loins shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look now toward the heavens and number the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted to him for righteousness. Okay, that was the promise. Uh, at some point, Abram obviously told Sarah, or Sarai, he, she wasn't Sarah yet. Unfortunately, as we say, Sarah jumped the gun. She gonna kind of help God out a little bit. So in chapter 16, verse 1, now Sarai, Abram's wife, did not bear him any children. She had a handmaid, an Egyptian, and her name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has kept me from bearing. I pray you, go into my maid servant. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the words of Sarai. Well, you know, when you try to work it out your way, sometimes stuff happens. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, maid servant, gave her to her husband, Aram, uh, uh, Abram. He went into Hagar, verse 4, she conceived, and when Hagar saw that she had conceived, she looked upon her mistress with contempt. <laughs> I gave Abram a child, not you, Sarai. So Sarai, we know the story. Uh, Sarai drove her out, but the angel of the Lord convinced her to go back. But Ishmael was born. And Ishmael lived about 12 years, 13 years. And then God goes further and lands a bombshell on Abram. Totally unexpected. Totally unexpected. Verse 15 of chapter 17. This is when circumcision, we know, has been uh, now God is informing Abram of circumcision. And God said to Abraham, because his name is now Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but her name shall be Sarah. And I will bless her and give you a son also. Yea, I will bless her. She shall be a mother of nation. Kings of people shall be from her. And Abraham, he just fell off his face and laughed. Because he's thinking, saying in his heart, shall a child be born to someone that's a hundred years old? And Sarah, the wife, 90? This is impossible. This can't happen. So Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live. See, Abraham, Abraham still has his heart set on Ishmael. Ishmael is his son, his firstborn. That means a lot to him. And Sarah, God said, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son indeed. No ifs, ands, or buts. God is proclaiming it. And when God says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. No power in heaven and earth can stop him. Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son indeed. You shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. So Isaac is going to be the seed. 
And we're going to see a contesting in Genesis 21 that causes the eruption of Sarah, something I never realized why until this year. And I've been puzzled over that for, well, ever since around 1961 or 1962. And here we are in 2022. And now, finally, I understand it. But God says, as for Ishmael, I have heard. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. So God heard Abraham. He says, don't worry, Abraham. I'm going to take care of Ishmael. He'll be all right. I'll make a great nation of him. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. All right. Now we're going to go to Genesis 21. And here we have. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. So she conceived, bore Abraham a son. Wonderful. He's circumcised. But the child grew, verse 8, and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast the day Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, mocking. Now, what does it mean by mocking? You know, I should have seen this a long time ago, but I didn't. And you can understand what this word really means. It doesn't it means actually it means to contest. Uh, that's what the real meaning of it is in this context. To challenge, to make light of what Hagar, what 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 uh, Ishmael is doing is making light of Isaac being the seed. Ishmael is saying, "I'm the firstborn. I'm going to share in this." Now. One of the ways we know that is, interestingly enough, uh, every Friday morning I have a special hour-long session with the Hebrew master. And right now we're in a session where we're reading large sections of Genesis and we're going into Exodus in Hebrew and English. And this section we read today, this morning. So it's fresh on my mind, really fresh on my mind. All right, so you know how Fred has said uh, oftentimes, well, not oftentimes, but at least some of the time, the New Testament is the key that unlocks the Old Testament. Not always, but sometimes it does. And this is one of those times. So turn back to Galatians. Remember when I said we we're going to be spending time in Galatians? Oh, we are. So this time, we're going to Galatians 4. Galatians chapter 4. We're also going to spend time in Galatians 4 a little later on with allegory, for it, for it explains a lot. All right. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 29, or verse 28. Now we, brethren, like Isaac, are the children of promise. But as it was then, so it is now. For he who was born according to the flesh, now that's Ishmael, persecuted whom him who was born according to the spirit nevertheless what does the scripture say cast out the maid servant okay now what we did this morning we thought let's understand this word that's translated uh, persecution so anyway he was able with his lexicons online and so forth and put it on screen and we went through it and we saw all the different places where this word is translated and the projections and sure enough, 
in addition to persecuting, we have contesting, challenging. So oftentimes, a word can have three or four different meanings. The $64,000 question, though, is what is the meaning in this context? Because truly, as I've said before, and as I have been taught, context is everything. So let's go back now to Genesis 21. Genesis 21. So Sarah saw the son of Hagar mocking, and she said to Abraham, cast out the maidservant and her son. But this in the Hebrew is in the imperative. She's commanding him. She's not just urging him. She says, Abraham, get rid of this woman. She's ordering him. And uh, my Hebrew master said humorously that a few weeks or months ago, he was going over this with one of his female students. And the female student looked up at him and said, Sarah wasn't a very submissive wife, was she? <laughs> well, she was and she wasn't. In some instances, Sarah was like a mama bear protecting her cub. And see, I should have seen it. Look what it said here. This son, this son of this maidservant shall not be heir with my son Isaac. There's a clue right there. Ishmael is then saying, hey, I've got the right to be the seed too. I've got the right to the promise. Well, Sarah just blew her stack. She was madder than a wet hen. She was a rampaging bear. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. Now, this word grievous, we have the Hebrew let, root letters ra, which means among evil, it means calamitous. It means horrible, horrific. Abraham was just beaten to a pulp. This is his firstborn son. And Sarah is demanding that he get rid of his firstborn son. It wasn't Sarah's firstborn son, but it was his so what's he going to do? Well, to make sure Abraham does get rid of his son, God decides to weigh in. All right. And God said to Abraham, verse 12, let it not be grievous in your sight because of the boy, because of the maidservant. In all that Sarah has said to you, hearken to her words. This is command. This is not, hey, please, you know, go, go, go do as Sarah says. No. God says, do as she said, in that tone of voice, in that force. Well, if you're a patriarch, as wonderful as patriarch as Abraham was, when your wife and El Shaddai together are ganging up on you, what's a prophet to do? You know, come on, how, how are you going to stand up to those two? Well, she he be the hasty retreat. Uh, but he said also, I will make a nation of the son of the maidservant because he's your seed. See, God didn't hate Ishmael. God loved Ishmael. He loved Hagar. It's just that Isaac was the seed, not Ishmael. So Abraham rose up early, took the bread, sent her away. And there's a wonderful story about her putting uh, Ishmael under a bush. And she goes off because she doesn't want to see the boy die. And then it says, God heard the lad where she was, the angel of the Lord says. And it's a play on words, because what does Ishmael mean? God hears. And the word God Ishmael. So play on words, we can say, God Ishmaeled Ishmael. 
he heard. Didn't hear Hagar. Spoke to Hagar. But God heard Ishmael. So indeed, and he became a great archer and a mighty nation. Uh, uh, the Arab peoples. Unfortunately, they still think that the seed should go through them. So they're still fighting the Jews in, in, in Palestine because of that. Well, anyway, so God said, but look what God said. Uh, hearken to Sarah, hearken in all that Sarah says to you. 4, verse 12, again, chapter 21. For in Isaac your seed shall be called. North ends their butts. God saying, Isaac is the one, not Ishmael. You will get. You will have the child through Isaac. We'll gain. And go back to chapter. Go back to uh, Genesis uh, seven. Go back to Genesis seventeen, and we'll see where. Uh, yeah, base and so on and so forth. I will establish a couple with him. Oh yeah, in verse twenty. Verse twenty of chapter seventeen. As for Ishmael, I've heard you. I blessed him. We'll make him fruitful. Uh, he will be. He will beget twelve princes. But look in verse twenty-one. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac. So Isaac is the one. So now that we have Isaac as the one, uh, we are now going to take a look at what we call works of law. There is a. Uh, a good Jewish scholar, got his name here, Dr. Mark Nanos. And I overheard or in a video, an interview with him, as well as a course taught by him. And when you listen to him, it's almost like listening to Fred. Because they're saying the same thing. And as he went through, he pointed out, Paul was not arguing against the law of God. Not at all. We're talking about, of course, Ergon Namo, or Erga Namo. And what he says is, what Ergon means is rite of passage, or ritual, or practice, or custom. Nomos is indeed the norm. So rites of custom culminating in Erga Nomos has nothing to do with biblical law. But circumcision has now become a work of law. Once upon a time, it was a work of the law. But, but physical circumcision has been superseded by, physical, by spiritual circumcision. So therefore, physical circumcision is of no effect. Now let's look at biblical example of a work of law and a work of the law. We read about Sarah, what she did, bringing in Hagar. That would be a work of law. But it is also in the law. But God didn't command it. God didn't oppose it. God said nothing about it. And he never criticized uh, Sarah for it either. It's interesting. And the same thing happened with Leah and Rachel. If you will remember, Rachel was barren. So she, she said, well, I'll get my handmaid and I'll have him go into Jacob. And got two sons. Leah decided to do the same thing. Again, a work of law. Because God didn't command it. It was not part of the law. Although it is written in 
the law. Now, let's look at a case where something very similar, but in this case, it truly was a work of the law. And that is Deuteronomy chapter 25. Deuteronomy chapter 25. We're not going to spend much time on it, but nevertheless, we're going to look at it very quickly. Verse 5. Deuteronomy chapter 25 and verse 5. That's page 317 in your faithful versions, if you have it. And, it's, and we read, if brothers live together and one of them dies and has no child, the wife of the dead shall not marry outside to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as a wife for himself and perform the duty. So in the other examples, we have the wife just on her own saying, I don't have any kids, so therefore, hey, you go into you know, Jacob, you go into my husband, you go into Abraham, and, and maybe you can have children that way, and I can have those kids. In this case, it's two brothers. One marries, but dies before any offspring, and so God commands the other one, brother B, you go in and raise up seed. In this case, it is a command of the law. So if we're going to look at the Greek, this would be a work of a law in Sarah's case, but in Deuteronomy 25, it would be a work of the law. That's just to give us a that's just to give us an example. Okay. Now we're going to go to back to Galatians. And we're going to look at chapter 4. Because Paul gets very, very, very masterful here. He really does. Chapter 4. Uh, and we're going to find it. We'll go in 21. Here we go. Verse 21. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the maidservant, one by the free woman. Now, on the one hand, he who came from the maidservant was born according to the flesh. But on the other hand, he who came from the free woman was born according to the promise. Well, now look, both were born of the flesh. All right. They were. What is Paul doing here? Oh, he's, he, 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 he's reasoning rabbinic logic. Okay, well, so one was born from the free woman, the promise, which things are allegorical. See? Allegory. The Rebbe is at work here because these are to the two covenants. How does he figure that? We'll see. The one from Mount Sinai, which is Hagar, is engendering bondage. Because Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem. And she is in bondage with her children. Well, wait a minute. Mount Sinai in league with corresponding to Hagar and Egypt? God thundered the law from Mount Sinai. What connection does that have with Egypt? <laughs> it doesn't. But... Rabbi Shaul is giving, is giving an allegory. He's not comparing Mount Sinai as with God thundering his law with Egypt and Pharaoh. 
He's looking above and beneath. So you see, of the earth, below. Mount Sinai is below. Egypt is below. So he is saying, we are now comparing Isaac, born from the Spirit, Isaac, born of the promise, and therefore, he is of the promise, of the Spirit, through faith. Whereas Hagar is Mount Sinai and corresponds to the present Jerusalem. She's in bondage. Okay, if that's the case, then what mountain are we? He's saying the one is from Mount Sinai. So what's the other one from? The spiritual one. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. Okay, where is that? Hebrews. The book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. And we'll pick, actually, um, I'll digress for a minute. You've heard of the oral law? Of course. Well, there's good oral law and there's not so good oral law. But here is an example of the positive, in the sense, of oral law. Because you won't find this in any book of the Old Testament. And look what Paul says in verse 21. Talking about the giving of the law at Sinai, the lightning, the thundering, the earth is quaking. And so terrifying was the sight in verse 21 of Hebrews 12 that Moses said, I am greatly afraid and trembling. You don't find Moses that being recorded in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. In fact, you don't find it recorded anywhere in the Old Testament. But this is an example to show us that there were certain facts. There were certain actions that were carried on down. They just weren't written. And this is not a bad part of the oral law. This informs us of how terrifying that sight really was. And the Israelites were terrified. But now, verse 22, Paul writes to us, But you have come to Mount Sion and to the city of the living God, heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the joyous festival gathering, and to the church of the firstborn, registered in the book of life, in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the just who have been perfected. Jerusalem above, not the physical Jerusalem below. That's Paul's whole point. If you go for physical circumcision, you're going to the old covenant, below not the new covenant, which is through faith in Christ, above. All the way through, this is Paul's argument, in everything. And he says it over and over again. Whether he fully got through, we don't really know. Because we don't have a, a real history of what happened to these various churches. Uh, and Well, eventually we do know what happened. They were taken over, but not by Jews. They were taken over by the rising Catholic Church, but this is very, very interesting. Above, that's what Paul's argument was. Okay, we got that. Uh, I want to make sure I make sure that we cover everything. Examples of the works of law, explain uh, the rabbinic logic, Mount Sinai. All right. Right, now we need to look at Galatians 4, 28 to 31. Back to Galatians. 
from Galatians 4. Well, we've read this before, but look. Now we, brethren, like Isaac, are the children of promise, above. So also it is now. And the course goes through again, cast out the bondwoman. So then, brethren, notice this, we, in verse 31, so then, brethren, we are not children of the maidservant, no, but of the free woman, the free woman which is above, okay? The maidservant, below. Don't go below. Don't go after physical circumcision. When you do that, you come under the old covenant. You're hitching your wagon to a falling star. Hitch your wagon to a rising star. The new covenant that's going to get us glory. And one day there will be that resurrection and we will be able to see our Father and the Christ face to face as it were eyeball to eyeball. What a glorious time that's going to be. That's the new covenant through faith in Christ. So don't go for the physical circumcision. And Paul is almost pulling his hair out because he's trying to get that through. But, of course, it's very, very difficult. So once again, let's reread Galatians 5, verse 2. Behold, I, Paul, tell you that if you become circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. You've rejected him. You're saying he's not good enough. Not going to work. It's either all or nothing. It's by hearing of faith or it is by works of law. Now, works of law can also pertain, for example, to certain rituals that are in the Old Covenant. No test. That's true. But the point is, works of law can never gain us right standing with God. God will never smile and say, ah, you're so wonderful. Well, there were maybe a few people who were truly righteous in that regard. One of them that comes to mind is Job. Remember, God couldn't say anything bad against Job in terms of obedience when he crows to Satan. Ah, oh, Satan, have you seen my servant Job? Look at him, how righteous he is. There's none more righteous than my servant Job. And Satan says, yeah, 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 that's because you bless him. But you give him to me and he'll curse you. Okay, okay, you talk me into it. Because God knew that there was one thing that was wrong with Job. But it had nothing to do with obedience to the law. It had to do with the fact that Job never gave God any credit. Job took the credit for himself. I'm so righteous. You know, if I could just get God here, get a mediator, and that mediator will see that I'm right. Well, in, a, in physical obedience, that will be true. But that's not good enough. we got to have the spirit. And that's what Job didn't have. That's why God worked on him. Now, another couple, which may come close, could be Zacharias and Elizabeth, parents of John the Baptist. Because it says in Luke 1, you won't turn there, they were walking in the law of the Lord blameless. Now, that's pretty perfect from my vantage point. No, spiritually they weren't perfect. Nobody was because they didn't have God's spirit. But in terms of the physical aspects of the law, in obedience to everything that God commanded, it said they were blameless. But uh, how many Zacharias's have there been? How many Job's have there been? Oh, very, very few. But nevertheless, that's the point. So, he said, 
you who are attempting, verse 4 again, in Galatians chapter 5, you who are attempting to be justified by works of law, you are being deprived of any spiritual effect from Christ. That's the whole point again. If you're going after circumcision, you're going after the old covenant, then grace and faith are meaningless. They have no effect. Don't do it. You have fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit are waiting for the hope of righteousness by faith. That is the whole point of the book of Galatians. It is the whole point of Paul. He talks about works of law, and you can find it throughout Galatians. But remember, most of the time it's talking about rituals, it's talking about customs that have nothing to do with God's Ten Commandments or His statutes. It can overlap a bit with certain rituals about the temple and tabernacle. Yes, these are these are rituals. That, that is correct. They can be considered works of law. But if we want the if you want the kingdom, then it's got to be by faith, not by works of law. So that is a challenge. And it is a challenge for us. It was for Paul. And it was for those Galatians. How are you going to gain the kingdom? By works of law, by the hearing of faith. Which is it? If you go the circumcision route, we go works of law. And even though we today don't go in for physical circumcision, physical circumcision, some of us, I know I've seen it, I've seen it myself, I've got to do this, and I've got to do that, and I've got to really learn this, and I've got to learn that, and yeah, yeah, I'm going to get it, and I'm going to show that I, no, 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 that's good. Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, he said, you're saved by grace through faith. But he says, you were called unto good works. So we have to make sure we don't put the cart before the horse. The horse is faith in Christ. The spirit carving out the sin, getting rid of it, circumcising the heart. That's what's going to move the cart. And the cart is the good works that we're supposed to be doing. But we'll never be able to do those good works unless we have the faith of Christ in us. Not just our faith in Christ, but the faith of Christ in us, working through the Spirit so we can develop more faith. That's the way we gain entrance to the kingdom of God. Or as we say in Hebrew, Olam Haba, the world to come, the kingdom of God forever and ever. So what's it going to be? That's our challenge. How do we approach it? Are we going to gain the kingdom by works of law or faith in Christ? May it never be by works of law. Because if it is, we will never get there. It has to be by the faith of Jesus Christ within us, with his spirit circumcising the heart, leading us to righteousness. That will enable Christ to say to us upon resurrection, well done, you good and loyal servant. Only through the faith in Christ, not by works of law.